wondering, uh, the seeding does mean that there is food involved, right? Uh, so if you're uh, unfamiliar with what's happening here, this is not the new permanent arrangement at WordServe. This is a, we're preparing to have a feast right afterwards. So man, did you pick a day to come? So all you gotta do is stay put, uh, and maybe turn your seat around unless you like eating on your lap, and enjoy. That's the way the day's gonna roll. So we're celebrating a couple things, as I mentioned before, the, the transition into the Global Methodist Church. And uh, the Global Methodist Church did decide to ordain me, so I'm not a heathen in this new system. And uh, so we're celebrating that as well, uh, before they recognize their mistake and pull that. So uh, <laughs> that's what today is all about. And I'm so glad that you're here to be a part of that with us. We're also continuing a sermon series that is called Turn Your Eyes as we approach the cross and this holy week that's coming up and this thing called Easter. It's really important for us to focus on the one that makes all the difference for us, and that is Jesus Christ. So here's where we're going and where we've been. We uh, talked last week about making an entrance. We're going to talk today about making an example. And then uh, I hope this isn't a spoiler alert. He makes an exit, but then he comes back. This is so cool. This is the, my favorite time of the year. If anybody ever asked me, what is your favorite day or what is your favorite holiday, it's got to be Easter. Yeah, I mean, Christmas is great because there's family and there's presents, but man, Easter makes all the difference in the world, and I hope that we can convey that to you today and that you can be as excited as I am and, and maybe not as nerdy about it. So I want to ask a question today to kind of set the stage, and i got to warn you, I'm, I'm going deep quick, right? So, so no, you know introductory tale that takes us in. I'm just going to go cut to the chase here this morning. So get your think deep thinking caps on for this question. And here's the question. What do you want people to remember about you when you're gone? So, Whoa, Bill, that's kind of heavy. Where are you going with this? Well, th there's a reason that we ask this question, because if we don't have something that we want to leave behind, we will leave behind chance. We'll leave behind maybe some good memories, but Will we leave behind a legacy? And that's the opportunity that we have as Jesus followers, to leave behind a legacy that keeps on giving. What do you want people to remember about you when you're gone? This whole question became real for me. Uh, in, when I was going to seminary, I worked a part-time job at the Asbury College ropes course. Anybody familiar with the ropes course? You go out in the woods, you do crazy things, you dangle from trees, do zip lines, all that kind of stuff. The pay was terrible. But man, was that a fun job. So that, that's kind of where that came from. But as we would take a group, we, we started to get corporate groups that would come in. And uh, some of the requests we got began to be more than just work. In other words, they wanted people to value what they were as a person in their job. And so the challenge became, how do you engage these corporate professionals to think about life while they're in the woods, trying to figure out how to get 10 people across a platform with one board? I, this is where we were at. And so I came up with this, this idea, and it proved to be a life changer for me. I don't know if it affected anybody else, but it affected me. We got assigned a group. We would walk them from obstacle to obstacle throughout the day uh, and, then, and eat lunch and then do the afternoon thing. But I came up with this idea, and uh, the first one I said, okay, I want you to pair up. As we walk through the woods, I want you to ask this question. And the first one was just a super simple icebreaker. It was by the time we get to the next obstacle, you need to introduce your partner. Tell us all about them, their name, what are their hobbies, what are their wives, their kids, so that they got to know each other. And then we turned up the heat, because after the first obstacle, I would ask them, what do you want people to say about you at your retirement ceremony? Like, hmm, oh, well, never thought about that. 
so the next conversation was, what do you want them to say about the retirement summary? And you talked about your partner again, right? You can't just make this stuff up. You have to actually extract information and talk to people. It was great because it, it used the time in the woods and it really got them thinking. Because if you don't have the end in mind, then whatever we do is just an accident. But if we have a definite thing that we want at that end, we have a very straight path to it. And when we have opportunities that pop up, we can take advantage of those. So what do you want people to say about you at your retirement was the next one. And then it got really deep. Because the next one was, what do you want people to say about you and remember about you at your funeral? Whoa, man, I came out for a day in the woods, this, you know, birds chirping in sunshine. I didn't know, I wasn't anticipating this, but that's where it started to get real because we, we recognize in that moment, as the scripture says, teach us to have a heart of wisdom because we got only so many numbers of days. And so if we're not thinking about this as a temporary thing, then we should be because it is. And so they began to think about what do we want people to remember uh, after I'm literally gone. And then the last one was my favorite question. This was the one that was before lunch, which hopefully kind of brought him back from that, that thing. I asked him, now I want you to talk at the next obstacle. Are those two different? In other words, what you want people to remember about you and say about you at your retirement, is that the same thing that you want them to remember when you're gone from this life? And if they're not the same, why not? Because if they're not the same, that means I'm not living true to who I am. I'm not living true to who God made me to be in the mission that maybe he put me here on earth. If I want my retirement friends to remember one thing and I want my friend friends to remember something else, I'm trying to be two people. And that's not going to have any impact whatsoever. And furthermore, as a Jesus follower, we have a tremendous opportunity to be who we are in this world and have Christ work through us and to leave a legacy. And that's what I call a win-win-win. So when we think about all the things that we can do, think about the, the funeral, uh, the, the retirement ceremony, the funeral. Then the last question of the day for them was, what do you have to change to make what they say at retirement the same thing they say at your funeral? What changes can you make today? And what changes do you have to make in your life? And then I let them go because I wasn't going to stick around and try and answer that for them. That's something they had to work through themselves. But we got some pretty good feedback from people who would write back later, months later, and say, man, I was really thinking about that question. I really hate you for planning that in my head. But thank you for making me think this through because my life has changed. And then we had several that just kind of came and went and didn't make any difference, I'm sure. But I hope at some point we planted a seed. Because for us as Jesus followers today, what I want people to say is that we knew Christ and Christ could work through us. So... My question to you would serve at the end of this day. I'll give you the, the bottom line up front. What changes do we have to make today to make a difference in this world so that people can see Christ working through us? And maybe it's time for that change. Maybe we had it at one time or, and we've forgotten it. Maybe that first love has faded a little bit. But folks, it's coming up on Easter. It's coming up on a time where the world is dark and needs some good news. It is time for us to change. It's time for us to fall in love with Christ all over again. I'm not talking about the mushy love that you see on TV. I'm talking about the life-changing, earth-grounding love that guarantees eternal life. That's what I'm talking about. 
And so we're going to talk about making an example because that example that we leave leaves that opportunity as Jesus followers for other people to be similar, similarly impacted. I should really pick smaller words. That was too many syllables. <laughs> Never say anything you can't spell. That's my rule. So the setting of what we're going to be doing today, uh, this is no mystery to you. You know the setting. This is the Last Supper. This is where Jesus is gathering his disciples. They're into Jerusalem. He's done a week of teaching. He's done some great teachings. He's overthrown some tables. He's you know thrown out money changers. He's angered the Pharisees, he, basically everyone for that matter. And they're up in the room, the upper room, in the final night that he's going to be together. You all know this story probably pretty well. But here's the one thing that I want you to focus on as we read today's text. Jesus knows exactly what's coming. All the other disciples are absolutely clueless. So when Jesus is talking, he's talking into the future that they don't see, that they don't recognize. And, and sometimes I kind of feel that way when I read scripture or when I pray. And I, you, know, you, you kind of see things in scripture or you hear from God. And you're like, man, that doesn't make any sense. Well, maybe that's because he's looking into the future. And I'm clueless. I'm the first to admit. But just remember, as we read today's text, Jesus knows exactly what's about to happen. The disciples have no clue. In fact, not only do they not have a clue, they were just arguing on the road on the way there, like who's going to be the greatest in this kingdom when Jesus overthrows? I'm going to be the Secretary of Defense. I'm going to be the Secretary of Transportation. Whatever they're arguing, I don't know. They have absolutely no idea what's about to happen, but they will. So we begin to read in John, or yeah, John 13. I'm going to read starting in verse 1. And we're going to skip, we're going to go 1 to 7 and then 13 to 17. And this is the story. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress. The devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize what I'm doing, but later you will understand. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for it is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, servants are not greater than their master, nor are messengers greater than the one who sent them. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. These are the words of God for the people of God, and for these words we are grateful. I want to highlight a couple of things that are going on. Jesus knows exactly what's happening, and we know this because it says right here, the festival hour had come, uh, having loved, he knew that the end was near, and he loved them to the end. Jesus knows that this is his last event, his last chance to make an impression on these disciples, 
that he's about to launch into the world to carry on the mission that he set them up for. It's good for us to pause and ask yourself, if you had a group of people that you were mentoring and leading for several years, and you were about ready to turn them loose to fulfill the mission for which you have been preparing them, and you know this is your last time together, the last time that you can communicate with them, what would you tell them? And here's the thing that fascinates me about Jesus. He didn't choose to tell them so much as show them. His grand act was not a, a great speech, although he says a lot of interesting things here at the Last Supper, mostly about who's going to betray him and all that kind of thing. But the thing that makes the most impact for me is not what he said. It's what he did. Washing the feet was supposed to be something that the lowest servant did. And if you couldn't afford a servant, you at least put out some clean water and let the guests do it themselves. You have to understand that that custom means something different to them because as they ate, they reclined. They didn't sit in chairs and, and tables like WordSurf Cafe. No, they, they reclined at the table. Stinky feet right there, right by the food. Yes, sir. This is how real this gets. This thing is real, right? I'm not making this up. And so they walked through the streets. They walked through dust and dirt and animal stuff and all that. So cleaning the feet was kind of important. And it was not desirable. You didn't want to be that person whose job it was to clean somebody else's feet. It makes you feel a little weird even today, doesn't it? Like if I said right now, hey, everybody, we're going to have a foot washing service. So just go ahead and take off your shoes, relax, and wash the person's foot next to you. And it would be like uh, lights coming on the kitchen, a cockroach. Just go, there you go. We would see the emergency exits in full use. That's what we would see. Because it's weird, right? And just imagine if it were even more dirty and gross than that. And that's what Jesus chooses to do as his last act with the disciples because he knows the end is near. That blows me away when I think about that. Absolutely blows me away. Why would he do that? And why would he set that as the example to put before them? It doesn't make much sense to me, but that's why I'm not Jesus. It's all about the action. I love this phrase here at the end. It, it, it's, um, it's actually at the beginning, though. As you go through this whole thing, the, the one phrase that jumps out at me and, and really grabs me, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Why is that so significant to me? Well, one, because it defines how Jesus loves. And it's, it's a stark difference on how we consider love. You know, sometimes we consider love like I love pizza. That's true, but I wouldn't die for it. Uh, I love my wife. I would die for her, um, and she might kill me. But <laughs> the, the point is, Jesus looks at this whole idea of love as something that's calling them out of where they are to something greater. That's the part I think that we miss. Because if he would just would have said, yeah, I love you, and here's what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to die for you on a cross. Here, you know, coming up, and then I'll be back. And he does tell them that, but they don't get that either. What he does is he washes their feet. And if you look throughout the Old Testament, you see images of cleanse me with hyssop, wash me with water, cleanse me from my sin. Jesus isn't just saying, I love you. Jesus is saying, I see where you are. I see the mess that you're in. I'm going to make you clean. And what I want you to do with that is rise up and follow and let what I'm going to do work through you. Let this be your witness to the world. It isn't 
oh, I'm just going to make you clean so you can keep on about your daily life. It isn't just, yeah, you're a little messed up. We're going to buffer you up so you look good to everybody else around you. It's, no, this is a call to something greater. And again, they have no clue, but they will. That's the part that always gets me. He loved them to the end the way that Jesus loves, not the way that we love. He calls them out of where they are into something greater. He calls them from that very argument that they had walking on the road. Who's going to be the greatest? Yeah, who's the greatest? The least of you. That's who's going to be the greatest. Watch what I'm about to do. I, the son of the living God, who came down from heaven and had all the worship in the world, am going to subject myself to death on a cross for you. Does that blow anybody else away? It absolutely blows me away. Why would he do that? That's what makes this story so great. So I want to give you a, a, a couple things to think about. When we as Jesus followers have an opportunity to have conversations, like spiritual conversations with people, we have opportunities to connect people. And, and the first connection is to action. Action. There's a reason we have sayings that, like, actions speak louder than words, because remember what Jesus did. His last opportunity to influence these people was not a great speech. It was a great action. And I say great action. They were thinking, oh, that's weird. He did this servant thing. Yeah, absolutely. Because what he's saying is there is no place that you can go. There is no depth to which you can go. There is no dirt which you can get in that I won't go find. Jesus is about search and rescue. He will find us wherever we are. He will call us to where he wants us to be. He will equip us however we need to be equipped so that we can share that same news with other people. And that's the first connection. The second connection I think that he calls us to is to connect people to Christ. There's a tendency when you know Christ and somebody else doesn't, you come to them and they start thanking you for helping them out. They start looking to you for some wisdom and some answers. And there's a tendency for me to go, wow, that feels really good. I'm just going to relish in this role of Savior for just a minute. And then they've got you, right? Because it just takes a second. Oh, this feels so good. And then they come back to you, and, and you become their Savior. You know what the problem with that is? It'll take you about five minutes before you're absolutely overwhelmed. You're not their Savior. I'm not their Savior. I think I've told you the story about my uh, seminary professor who said, here, when you get into full-time ministry, there's one thing that I want you to do every morning, and that is to stand before the mirror right when you wake up and you're brushing your teeth and repeat after me five times, I am not the Messiah. I am not the Messiah. I am not the Messiah. I'm his messenger. We, we can't relish in that idea of me being the one that helps them. We have to take them where they are and connect them to Christ or it's going gonna, it's gonna to overwhelm you, trust me, because there's way more out there than we can handle. But there's not way more out there that he can't handle. So that's the second connection. You've got to connect people to Christ. You've got to do it through action. You don't have to. Sometimes words work, but actions are so powerful. That's why at WordServe we don't just talk about the word. We try to live the word. And when we say life is different, that's what we mean. Actually take this to heart. Actually try to live it out with actions and let people see Christ in that. It's amazing what can happen after that. 
So I want to give you the one question that I, I have fallen in love with myself. I, I, I use this every time. And here's the beauty of this question. The question is this. When you encounter a situation that you're trying to bring Christ into, ask this question. And don't stop until you get a good answer. How can I honor God in whatever happens next? Let me say that one more time. How can I honor God in whatever happens next? Why I like this question so much is it's not a script. It's not like, a, oh, I read this in the Bible. It says to be kind to others. So when I wake up this morning after I've said my five, I'm not a Messiah. I'm going to be kind. And so you go out into the world determined to be kind. And you're doing an awesome job right until you get that first rude person in your face. And they say something or do something or cut you off in traffic. And where does your kindness go? <laughs> right? Uh, good, I'm not the only one. Good, yeah. And, and so all of a sudden, I'm off my script. I was going to be kind, but you know what? This world is a terrible place with terrible people. And I am not going to be kind because they were not kind to me. Sounds like something Jesus would say, doesn't it? Of course not. No. So the reason I like this question is this isn't a script. This is a flow. Let me explain the difference. Uh, unfortunately, I'm going to use a football analogy. My apologies if you're not a football fan, but I think you'll get this. When you're a wide receiver in football, you have a route that you run. You have so many steps in a direction. It might be something that you, you button hook around. It might be a slant. It might be whatever. But you know when that play is called and you leave that huddle, this is the route that I am to run. And so you line up. The ball gets hiked. Boom, off you go. And you're running your script. And then the quarterback gets flushed out of the pocket. There's no more script. Because as a receiver, you know two things. If that quarterback gets past the line of scrimmage, he can't throw the ball anymore. Guess what? You're not a receiver anymore. You're now a blocker. You better find somebody to hit. right? And now you're off script. But you're not surprised by that because you've been trained. You know that when that quarterback gets past that line of scrimmage, you've just turned into a blocker. So you've got to find a way to adjust quickly. That's flowing. Or maybe he's gotten flushed out of the pocket, but he hasn't passed the line of scrimmage. He's looking. He's scrambling. His eyes are downfield. You stop the route that you plan to run, and you run the route that will allow him to get the ball to you. That's not on your script. That's making it up as you go. That's flow. But it's in accordance with certain understood principles. That's why I like this question. Many days when I get up and I go, I'm going to love like Jesus does. I'm going to be kind to people. I'm going to show Christ. And then something happens. I need something in that heat of the moment that's going to let me flow back into what Jesus is doing. And this is the question. How can I honor God in whatever happens next? By the way, you can ask that several times per minute. Because you go, okay, I'm going to do this. Oh, that didn't work. Okay, no. That didn't work. This is going downhill quick. And sometimes how I can honor God the most is just to shut my mouth and listen. Sometimes the way I can honor God the most is to say, you know what? I'm going to take a little time out. I'm going to let my pulse go down. And then I'm going to respond the way that Jesus might. So the first thing I like about this is it's not a script. We don't have to run a certain thing. And if we get knocked off that script, we don't know what to do. We flow. The second thing I like about this is this is not about me. When you get insulted in this world, when you get cut off in traffic, that's not a personal vendetta about you. It's not like some other driver got up this morning and go, you know what? My mission today is to cut off Bill Hogan. I'm going to track him down, find him, and go right in front of him. 
They didn't wake up thinking that. These things just happen. This is the world that we live in. We were driving yesterday uh, to a, an event, and this person, uh, first of all, I'm a big believer in turn signals. I, I just think it's polite, don't you? Like, hey, I'm about to type of thing. That's, that's very, very nice. So we're buzzing down the highway, down to going towards downtown Houston, and it's packed, you know, and I don't really know where I'm going. That's true most of the time, but I, I was trying to decide which lane I need to be in, and this dude comes right alongside me and just starts coming over into the lane. Like, I've got to tap the brakes into the lane or we're going to make contact. Like, I wasn't planning on flying formation today, but here he is, right there on my wing. So, and he didn't signal. That was my biggest thing. So you know what my Christ-like response was? I played a little tune on that horn. That's what I did. <laughs> and then I said, and then I took a wrong turn and got lost. But um, so it's karma, right? God says, oh, you're going to be that way, huh? There you go. Good luck getting to where you're trying to get. So anyway, I say all that to say that I do this all the time. I, I, I determined I'm going to live like Christ. I'm going to show Christ to the world. And then something happens, and it knocks me off my story. And it happens multiple times a day. And if I'm the only one this happens to, then, then y'all need to preach next week. I, I don't know what to tell you. But this is what brings me back every time. It's not about me. It's about my opportunity to have an example of showing God's love. So what can I do in these next few moments that will show God's love and let my ego go? And when I can do that, I am much more nimble. I'm much more flowy. I'm much more Christ-like. And I think it's a better thing for everybody. The other one uh, that I have to remember, this is along the lines of I'm not the Messiah. I, I can't cleanse anybody of their sin, but I can forgive them. And what's the difference? Well, Jesus is the one who takes away the sin. But if I don't forgive that sin, it's like that sin is still there, weighing that person down. Or, worse yet, weighing us down. How many times have you held a grudge or not forgiven someone only to recognize it's destroying you, not them? Maybe it's time to let go, move on. Let that burden slough off onto Christ and take that next step. Do whatever honors God in this next moment. And then the last thing is I can help connect. Again, I am not the Savior, but I can connect those persons to the one who can cleanse their sin. The one who can give them a sense of peace that passes understanding. The one who can fill them with grace, help them forgive, help them to get over the things that have happened in the past. How can I honor God in whatever happens next? One of the ways that we can do this is to begin our spiritual conversations. This is a picture of the website. I know it's an eye chart. I know you can't read it, but I bet you can see the website. Or you can check on social media. These are the questions that have been going out. Where do you find strength? What do you have faith in? How do you define peace? Where do you get peace? All those kinds of things are very innocent conversation starters and a great opportunity to honor God and whatever answer comes back. Maybe it's an invitation to Easter or the sermon series that follows. Maybe it's a, hey, I would love to hear more. Can I just listen? Maybe it's, let's go have a coffee and talk some more about this. I'd like to learn more. Maybe it's, hey, can I pray for you? Maybe it's, you sound like you're really burned out. Can I bring a meal? Can I do your laundry? 
think washing feet is bad. <laughs> you might want to find out what their hobbies are before you offer that one, right? But these are all easy spiritual conversations that we can have. <clears throat> At the end of the day, as, as you contemplate, how can I honor Christ? How can I honor God and whatever happens next? Uh, maybe it's good for us to go back and revisit those same questions that I ask at the challenge course. What do you want people to remember about you at your retirement? What do you want people to remember about you at your funeral? I think for me, uh, my hope is that maybe my headstone says, he loved them to the end with Christ's love. And here's the greatest piece of all of this. If we love with Christ's love, and Christ loves us to the end, then guess what? There is no end. That's the beauty. That's why Christ is so singular to all of this. He loves us to the end of his physical time on earth. He comes back. He loves us to the end of what? There is no end in Christ. Recognize this, word serve. Here is our opportunity. We can love people to the end, but if we connect them to the love of Christ, then their love will know no end. That's my hope and my prayer for us, word serve. Love them with Christ's love to the end. Will you pray with me, please? Yeah, we thank you for a love that is steadfast, mercies that are new each morning. Love that is enduring, that follows us no matter what we are, no matter what we've done. Your love is greater still. Scripture reminds us that we don't have to be perfect to be loved by you. Scripture tells us that while we were yet sinners, you died for us. God, remind us of that when we fall short. But God, I also pray that you would help us to see this opportunity that we have in asking a question like, how can I honor God and whatever happens next? I pray a supernatural pouring out of your Holy Spirit, supernatural meaning above our normal nature. Help us not to respond like humans. Help us to listen for that still, small voice. Help us to be filled with your Spirit so that whatever we do truly does honor you. God, we want all the attention to be on you because our love will come to an end. People might have memories, but the legacy that we can leave is to leave Christ's love, love which knows no